Take your Bible, go with me to 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. I'm going to talk to you about the, the rapture. How many are familiar with that term, the rapture? You familiar with that? That's a fun, it's a hot topic, man. I didn't know believers were so, were so divided on it. So I'm going to, going to divide you today. I'll hopefully provide a little, uh, a little bit of romantic uh, approach to uh, this, this topic. But, but here's the scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 18. Uh, many of us know this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Another, another text uh, often associated with the rapture. You're familiar with this one. It's in Luke 17, 34 to 37. It says, I tell you, in the night there will be two men in one bed. That's confusing, but it's, you know, it just means people, okay? Uh, and they're going to be in one bed. One, one's going to be taken away, and the other one will be left. Two will be grinding together. One will be taken away, and the other one left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken away, and the other left. And then they said, where, when? It's always our thing, right? We want to know when. Jesus, tell me when. This is where the church is divided. So let me just uh, share some stuff real fast before we get started, okay? So uh, it's important to note that uh, regardless of what uh, dispensation you uh, adhere to this morning, whether, you know, I didn't know we were this uh, divided on this issue uh, and well, well let, me, let me tell you, okay, what's the rapture then? The rapture is uh, this idea, this theological truth, not an idea. It's a theological truth. It's, a, it's, it's reality that Jesus is coming back. We agree? So far, if you agree, raise your hand. You agree with that? We're, that's all we need to know. All right? We don't need to know when. We need to know why. Come on, we need to know why is Jesus coming back. And that's why Paul said, if you know why Jesus is coming back, the why will tell you you should be excited. You can be comforted because if he is coming back, it's proof of his devotion and love to his bride, to his beloved, his bride. So, it's, so whether you're pre or post, I pray for you if you post. Let me just add. Oh. So would it make sense? I don't believe that Adrian is the type of husband that would let his bride go through hell if he could rescue her. I don't believe if that's your Jesus. I don't know, man. If that's your Jesus, I'm just saying. If, if he lets you go through stuff he could rescue you from, he's a bum. I was on a plane from Israel to home. Before I got on a plane, my wife called me. She's hemorrhaging. She's bleeding to death. There wasn't a plane that could get me there. There, wasn't a, there was nothing that I would have done any. I would have sold everything I had. I would have done everything I could 
to get there, to be with her, to, to pull her through that. There was nothing. There's no, no height, no depth. No, that's what the Bible says. No height, no depth. No, no, there's nothing that shall separate Jesus from his bride. I mean, there's nothing he won't do for us. And does it make sense that the wrath of the Father will be poured out on his Son? And then the Son would say, do you believe that all of the wrath of the Father was poured out on Jesus that day when he hung on Calvary's hill? Then it stands to reason. It contradicts theology to then suggest that Jesus then, who took all the wrath of all of mankind, who absorbed it all and then gave you his righteousness and right standing, would then reserve that wrath for a later date for those that, it says, the Bible says, that all whosoever will put their faith in him could escape that wrath. But then we believe that Jesus, who took all the wrath, would then reserve that wrath for his bride for a later date? Doesn't make sense. So as you can see, I'm a little bit pre. All right, so but don't let that offend you. It's important. It's just important that you know that he's coming. It's important that you know he's on his way, all right? And why? And if he's on his way, then, then that's something to be comforted in, right? That's something to be comforted in. Okay, and then the next thing I want to share with you is um, the context of the Bible is really, really, really important when you read it. You've got to be cautious when you read the Word that you don't read it from the context of your perspective and your circumstance from here to there. You've got to read it from the context from which it was written. So you've got to understand that it was historical. It was historical. You know, Jesus said, these things are written so that you would believe. He also said, I've told you these things so that way when these things happen, you'll know that I told you that. So when they happen, you'll believe in me. He said, basically, he said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen and then it's going to happen. And I'm telling you so that way when it happens, you'll know that, that, you know, I was telling you the truth. And you know how many, I was watching something the other day, and it said something like 2,500 prophecies uh, are, are, are in the Bible. And, and 2,000 of them have been fulfilled exactly according to the Bible. Wow. So it's important that we understand like, the, the context of, of the word. So uh, uh, a text without a context is at best a pretext. Uh, Robert Zacharias used to say that. I love that. Uh, a text without a context is at best a pretext. You're just assuming things if you can't conclusively go, this is why I must, this is why this is why it don't make no sense when we take the text where Paul says a woman ought not to be this type of leader. I'm, I'm a, okay, I'm clear some air. Because what you're telling me is you don't know the rest of your Bible when you say that. That's what you're telling me. You're telling me you ain't never read the Old Testament when Deborah was, was a rescuer of nations. You mean to tell me that Deborah could lead a nation but not a congregation? That don't make no sense, y'all. Come on, Pastor. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know, that hurts a little bit for all of us, you know, Pauline, Pauline theological you're probably not here. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying, this, this, you ain't even here. Give this to somebody that needs it. You know what I mean? 
So they could be pro- so you're telling me that Jesus would entrust his entire ministry to women. The announcement of Jesus to the world came through the ministry of women, but he would not entrust the congregation to to a no, that don't mean. You mean to tell me God would speak through a donkey, but he's not allowed to speak through a woman? Come on, man. That don't make no biblical context sense. You mean to tell me that she could be a prophet, but not a pastor? Okay, moving on. So what I want you to do is understand that there's, a, there's you know, 66 books in this Bible written over the span of thousands of years by 45-plus authors, and all of it seamlessly woven together with one unanimous message that God came in flesh, died for his bride, and he's coming back for her. But it's important that we understand the context. One time, I was preaching in Lorraine back when we was doing Epic. Remember Mary when we was doing Epic? And I was preaching, and I tried to be cool. You know, Pastor Dion, one time I walked in. I walked in the service, and I looked up. Pastor Dion had a booger hat on with a, with a big old jangle of keys on his side. He had some, some boots on and some dirty jeans. It was the coolest thing i ever seen. But I, this dude is pulling off a booger hat, jangle of keys, like custodial keys. I had he up there playing the guitar and his keys are playing with him, you know. <laughs> and he's so happy, you just like, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> got a booger hat in the middle of summer, got a booger hat on. You know, I was like, man, that's cool. I want to do that. So one time, a long time ago, I was I was trying to do something similar to that. I saw back in the day, they was all wearing a hat. So I thought, I'm going to wear a hat when, I'm, when I preach this, this midweek service. So I put a hat on, and I pull it way down low. And I thought, you know, I was a lot like Pastor Dion. I, I thought, this is cool. You know, I'm trying to be relevant. You know what I mean? And so I put that hat on. I got down out of the, I got down out of the pulpit, and this elder from the church came over. Woo, he gave me the business. Don't you know what the Bible, do you not know the Holy Scriptures? You ought to know the Scriptures before you get up there and preach. said, a man ought not cover his head. Don't you know what Paul said? And I just, with my hat on, I thought, yeah, I'm familiar with that text. But I don't think that's the context of that text. I think the context, I don't think, I don't think he was talking about my John Deere hat. My bro, my, my, my bass pro, he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about authority, right? So the context of what we read is very important. So remember that as I share with you the context of how Jesus poignantly communicated to his disciples in the first century what the rapture would be like. So the rapture is given in the context of a Galilean wedding. It's important to note that two-thirds of the New Testament is written in Galilee. The Galilee is where Jesus was raised. So it would be like me and Pastor Marlon. Are you from Campito? Who's, who's Anybody from here from Campito? Clearview. Where are you from? Clearview. Where's Clearview? I, know, I just saw Clearview. Clearview. 
Clearview. But when I say Campito, you know Campito because you're from Clearview. It'd be like us talking. The context of our conversation would be strange to those on the outside because they wouldn't know, who, what is Campito? What, where is this place? Even when I say it, you're like, what's Campito? Campito was a little neighborhood buried in the, in the Sheffield Village. I was born and raised there, learned how to play basketball there. Went to the City View Center and, and had lunch there. Me and Marlon grew up there. I, I ran home from fights there. I ran from the police there. I, it was hard there at times. It was, but if you know it, you know the context of my conversation. You, you and I know the feeling of that. We, we understand the context of my conversation. I'm from Campito. Galilee was similar to that. So when we... When you look at the Bible and you look at what Jesus is talking about to his disciples, you got to understand he was talking from a reference. Remember, Jesus remembers how I say remember, and it's like it's short for remember, and I, you only say that around people you're really comfortable with. So remember, when Jesus would share stories with his disciples, he'd say the kingdom of heaven is like, and the kingdom of heaven is like, and the kingdom of heaven is like. He would, he would share stories of what the kingdom of heaven is like within the context of their understanding. So he would use the, the context of his relationship with them and where they were from and how they were raised. So Galilee was where he was raised. Peter lived three houses down from Jesus. There was a church there in Galilee. I'm going there in December if you want to go. You know, you can come with me and you can actually see these places. In Capernaum, you can see where Jesus lived. You can see the church he attended. But it's important to note that Jesus was from Galilee, and in Galilee, they had very specific customs that weren't like everywhere else in Israel. It's a little tiny area, but if you're from Campito, you know things that other people don't know about, the, about Campito. And so when Jesus talks to his disciples, all of his disciples were from Galilee. When he found all of them, he found them in Galilee. And so when he begins to talk to his disciples, he's talking to them from the perspective of Galilee. Today I want to present to you the doctrine of baptism through the lens of a Galilean wedding, which I believe is really, once you see it in the scriptures, you'll never unsee it. And so a Galilean wedding would begin uh, something like this. It would, so a father, it's not like our... our uh, culture, society today. A father, this would be fun, right, Emma? Uh, your dad is going to pick who you marry. Oh, this is going to be a good time. This is going to be a good time. And, and it, was, it, it was as such that, that because the father chose that children honored the father so much that they were excited about the choice of the father. And so as a son would come of age, he would know that his father chose his bride. And so as they got closer and closer and closer to the time of his father, but only the father could tell the son. Now, now, now listen to me now, because all of this is going to sound very, very familiar. So only the father could tell the son when it was time to get married. And once the son come of age, though, he would be excited because he knew his time of betrothal was drawing near. And so what the son would do is he'd get his friends together. He'd get his groomsmen together. 
And he'd pick one specific. And that one specific would be the one that when the father said it was time to go get his bride, that one specific. Now, as they led up to the day, they would all hang out together. They'd be close together. They'd spend a lot of time together. And so on that particular day that the father said, okay, it's time, son. It's time. It's time to go get your bride. What would happen is he would, get his, he would get his groomsmen together, and all of his groomsmen would come, but there'd be one specific that, that he would note, and he'd say, you're the one that's going to go out in front of us. You're going to be the one who heralds my arrival to my bride. Now, while they're getting, there's a forerunner. So, so there's a forerunner to the groom, to the bridegroom. There's, a fore, there's one that the, that the husbandmen will pull out and say, you're the one that's going to go before me, and you're going to tell everybody in front of you that I'm coming. Make straight the paths of the Lord. Get ready. The bridegroom is coming. Everybody get ready. And he would go through the city and he would be shouting, the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. He'd run through this village in Galilee and everyone would hear that and they'd know that, that, oh, it's time to get to the gate because everything happened at the gate and Jesus is the gate. Remember, remember, now just listen, listen to me now. Jesus is the gate. And so they would all run to the gate. The elders of the city would run because the elders are the one that were witnesses they were the witnesses of what and you know when we when we attend a wedding we're not there watching it i want you to understand the next time you attend a wedding this is why the bible calls us witnesses you are there to witness the betrothal of the groom and the bride and so everyone would come they would all come and as the forerunner who who was who was the the husbandman, he would go for. He's the John the Baptist to the groom. You hear me? You hear me? He's the John the Baptist. It says that John the Baptist, he went in front of Jesus, and they said, are you the husbandman? He said, no, I'm not the groom. The groom's coming behind me. The groom's on his way. Everybody, make straight paths. Get stuff out of the way. He is coming. Everybody would come out. And then uh, because the, the John the Baptist went f- in front of Jesus, see, I got to, this is so, Because the forerunner went in front of the bridegroom, it signaled to the bride. She heard it. It signaled to the bride to get ready. I got to get ready. And she would get up. And and like like the groom, she would have had her bridesmaids. And the bridesmaid would all rise, and they'd go out, and they'd meet at 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 the city gate. And as they met at the city gate, something significant would happen. And all the while, all the while, the father would be watching. And when they got to the place of the city gate, the father then, in the Galilean wedding, he would open up. He would open up and he would read the covenant agreement. The father, this was the job of the father. He would read, this is the covenant from my son to his bride. So as, as, they, as he would stand in the, in the, in the witness of everyone, he would, he would begin to read the covenant agreement. We go to weddings and what do they do? They exchange vows. The father would read the covenant agreement. You know the Bible is your covenant agreement? And the father would read it, and he would say, these are the terms of the agreement from my son to his bride. 
You can expect this from my son. This is how my son's going to love you. This is how my son's going to provide for you. This is the love. This is the, he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die for you. He's going he's to hang on that cross. For, for, for the, and then they're going to put him in a grave. And he's going to go into a grave. But on the third day, my son's going to come out of the grave. And when he, my son comes out of the grave, anyone who puts their hope and trust in him is coming out of the grave with him. This is the title deed. This is the agreement of the covenant between my son and his bride. And anytime the bride has questions, she can go to the covenant agreement and she can say, no, 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 this is the, this is, we, we agreed to this. And I want you to understand when you get married, like, like that's why you can't mess with it because you agreed to this stuff. You agree that for sickness or, or health or rich or, or for poor or for skinny and well, well, you're always skinny lady. So, you know, you know, whatever, but you know, for, for beauty and you're always beautiful too. So it don't matter. So. But this is the agreement, right? So you got to know. So the father reads it. The father reads it in the, in the hearing of everyone. And you need to understand that you and I are the bride. And the father has provided the covenant contract of the Bible. So that way, when, when the enemy comes in and threatens you, he, you can go to the, the covenant agreement and say, no, no. The, this is, we agreed to these terms, Jesus. We got married. And these are, the, these are the covenant agreements. By your stripes, I'm healed. You are the prince of peace, so I don't know confusion, right? So this is the title deed. This is the agreement of covenant. And then there, it, it, there's a moment that happens where the son, come up here and help me pass it down. There's a moment that, that happens. Oh, yeah, right here. I keep wanting to go over there. Um, I'm going to need you too, Christina. There's a moment, right, right there, right there. So there's this moment. There's this real special moment. It's found in uh, John 9, I think, at 1. I'll, I'll reference it in a minute. But the Father, there's this moment where the Father will take, and uh, do you got something to drink here? Yeah, there you go. Is this your water? Can you go drink from it? Will you drink from it? All right, here we go. Pretend this is wine, okay? The father will take wine and pour it into a cup. And the father, in the Galilean wedding custom, will then extend the cup to his son. And the son will take the cup. And I want you to, rem I want you to remember with me when Jesus said these words. If you can, Dad. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but the Father's. So the cup is taken by the Son from the Father. He drinks from it. And now here's the moment. Here's the moment. Here's the definitive moment. Because nobody makes you get married no one can force the bride even though <laughs> even though she was selected even though she was foreordained even though the father knew and, and declared it before time before the son even though the father said so it's the choice of the bride to receive the cup 
of the bridegroom. And John says, says, for as, as many as received him, if she receives it, this is the definitive moment. This is the moment. Not like us, where we got to, you know, take some rings and do all of that, and it's all done in one shebang. No, no. This is the moment right here. If she drinks from the cup of the sun, she's married. She knows it. So he, this is the moment. She, he extends it. It's her choice. Remember, nobody, you know, nobody can make you drink this cup. Nobody can make you drink it. It's your choice. Are you excited to drink it? <laughs> you should drink it. You should drink it. Yeah, yeah. That's your cue. Yeah. Amen. And that's what happened at the gate. At the gate, there would be an applause. There would be, a, there would be this roar, this thunder from the community, from the elders. There would be this celebration because the bridegroom and the bride have now been married. But what's really important to know is that at this moment, they enter into this one year of preparation. The Bible tells us that that when they, when they approached the empty tomb, they came there and they looked up. And the angel said, why do you stand here looking up? This same Jesus that left is coming back. And so they enter into this. So Jesus then is not here, right? And so they enter into this one year. And, and how many are familiar with this term in your Bible? About this time next year. Right? You familiar with that? It was a way for a prophet or in the Bible they would just say, about this time next year you'll be with child. I won't look at anybody specifically. I'll just look around. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> about this time, right? So, so a pregnancy materializes in about a year. What is it, what's the significance of, of that? The significance is this. A year, when Jesus leaves... They're, now, it's, it's symbolic of the Galilean wedding where they would wait a year. And the reason they wait a year is because they need to test the, devote, the devotion and the purity of the bride. So, so when, when Jesus tarries, what's happening? He's testing the purity and the devotion of his bride, of his beloved. Time has a way of doing that, doesn't it? A, a, a promise is spoken to you, but what happens? It tarries, it tarries, it tarries. What's it doing? It's refining you, it's purifying you. It's, it's really testing what you believe and what you don't believe. That's what time does. And God doesn't have a problem with using time to test the devotion and the purity of his bride. So while, while, the, while that time exists, here's what happens. The, the bridegroom goes home. And she, uh, or the bride goes home. And, and her, what she has to do, I know it's really confusing, bridegroom, groom, bride, bride. Uh, but, so, so the bride goes home, and her job now is to, to be ready. To be, what did Jesus tell? He said, uh, he said uh, here's what I want you to do. All authority I've given unto you, occupy until I return. So what is Jesus saying? What's the bridegroom saying to his bride now? Jesus isn't here. And, and what's important for us to note is that just because he's not here doesn't mean we're not married. Just because he tarries, because the wedding, the, the ceremony, it's, it's in continuum. It wasn't consummated yet. We're, in, we're still in the, like I want you to understand, we're still in the middle 
of our marriage ceremony. And until he returns and the, lambs, the supper of the lamb takes place, that's where the consummation, when he pulls us away, that's when the consummation will take place. So it's important to note that just because he tarries doesn't mean he's not present. Doesn't mean you're not married. And he said, it's important that I go away. And I go, because if I don't go away, then I can't send the Holy Spirit. I got to go away because I got to get things ready. So Jesus goes away and he starts, he said, I got to go away now because I have to prepare a place for you. He said, I, I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you. He said, in my father's house, there are many Come on, you know these said There are many mansions. If it weren't so, I wouldn't tell you. So I want you to understand that, that just because Jesus isn't here, just because he's not present doesn't mean you're not married. And you got to be careful that you, you know, the Bible says, well, they've been saying that for years. You say he's coming back for years. you got to be careful that you don't let your guard down because you're married. And so the bride would go away, and she would get her dress. And once she got her dress, here's the deal. Once she got her dress together, she would wear it and not take it off. Why? Because she had to be ready. Because Matthew 25 tells us that the bridegroom is going to come when? In the night. He said, in the night. He said, he comes like a thief in the night. So we, now, the Bible also tells us that no man knows the day or the hour not even the, not the son, not even the angels of heaven, but who knows the time? The father. So the father of the, of the bridegroom is the only one who knows the time. And so what has to happen is the bride has to stay ready. It is said of the Galilean bride that the Galilean bride would sleep with her bridesmaids and she would sleep in her wedding dress. It speaks to us of the righteousness of Christ. It speaks to us as the robe of Christ's righteousness, and we can't take it off. We can't put, a, put it away. We can't disregard it. We have to always keep the righteousness because our marriage to him is not by our own merit. It's not because we made the decision. The Father made the decision. He put his hand on our life. So the gifts and the calling of God on your life are irrevo irrevocable. God's not changing his mind. So you, can never, so you can never take off the righteous. Remember at the end, at the end, they said this one guy walked into the marriage of the, uh, the supper of the lamb. And he said, how'd you get in here? And he said, why? He said, because you don't have the right clothes on. So you've got to be clothed in the righteous. So the bride would wear her dress. Let me ask you this. Do you, do you wear Christ like that? Are you awaiting his arrival in the, in the anticipation like that? It says that he comes in, he's going to come in the night. Now, my son, Caleb, uh, he knows just enough Bible to scare him. I mean, frighten him, you know. As a little boy, he would know just enough. And so, you know, all the, there'd be preachers out there that would say, I predict that on this day, Jesus is coming back. <laughs> right? You remember that? And he said, Jesus is coming back. And inevitably, anytime I saw that, I'm like, I'm waiting for Caleb to call me. And Caleb would call me. It'd be in the middle of the night, you know. He'd be doing something wrong. He'd call me. He'd say, Dad, did you see that? That one preacher said, Jesus is coming back tomorrow at 3 o'clock. And I said, listen. Inevitably, it'd be in the middle of the night, you know what I mean? He'd be up, he couldn't sleep, he's haunted. He's like, Yo, Dad, is this true? And I said, I said, uh, Caleb, if that preacher predicted that tomorrow Jesus is coming, you could go ahead and go to sleep because that's, that's not when he's going to come. Because the Bible says, no man knows the day or the hour, only 
the Father. So you can go ahead and rest easy tonight. It's not going to be tomorrow. Might be tonight, but not going to be tomorrow. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I don't know that I gave him any comfort ever. I, I made it to where he couldn't sleep. You know what I mean? I made it to where, well, boy, you're going to have to wrestle with this for the rest of your life till you live rut, you know, till you live ready. And that's the point. The point is you got to live ready. You can't get ready. You got to live ready. And that's why the Galilean bride, she stayed ready. And Jesus went away and he would prepare a place for her. Now, the, there's something to say there as well. Now, it's important that you understand that the bride goes to where the bridegroom is. The groom doesn't come to where the bride is. It's important that we keep our eyes on this fact, that our reward is in eternity, not in time. No matter what happens here, you got to keep your focus on this fact that Jesus is our reward. I don't care what happens here. Jesus is my reward. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter if I go through hell or the fire. It doesn't matter what persecution comes my way. This is why the, the, the patriarchs could go through su such suffering. It's because they knew the joy of their suffering was the reward of Jesus. And you got to live with this anticipation that Jesus is my reward. It doesn't matter what happens to me. You can't do anything to dissuade me from letting go of my devotion and my love for, G for my bridegroom Jesus and so they would so we have to live ready and Jesus is preparing a place now the Bible tells us that in first Thessalonians that there's going to be a night where the trumpet is blown and the father in the Galilean wedding would rise we don't know when right but we do know that it's going to be dark we know it's going to be at night. There's a reference. The darker it gets, right? Yeah. Remember this. The darker it gets, the more prepared we must be. Yeah. The harder it gets, the more prepared we must become. Yeah. So we don't know when he's coming, but we do. We have this reference of the season. We, prophetically, we can feel it because it's, it's getting so dark in the world. The lights are turning off, and we can sense his arrival by the times we're living in and the darkness we're experiencing, which is tell, it's, a, it's a signal to us to say, stay ready, stay ready, stay ready. Get more ready, get more ready. I mean, live in it, live in it, eat it, drink it, sleep it, go to bed. You know, get ready because he's coming. Because there's a night coming where the father will look at the son and he'll, he'll, he'll tap him and he'll say, all right, it's time now. It's time to go and get your bride. And once he says that, I want you to see this. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, for the Lord, now you got to see this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a... Jesus is going to pierce the sky. The bridegroom's going to pierce the sky, and he is going to shout. It says that Jesus is so excited to go get his bride that when the Father wakes him up, the, the earth will hear the thunder of the sound of the sun when he breaks the sky Jesus is going to scream for joy at his, at, his, at his bride and just like he screamed out the name of Lazarus and made Lazarus rise from his death he's going to scream for every believer in that moment who is ready for him and when you hear his voice you will rise from wherever you are and you will come to the attention of the Lord Jesus Christ at his shout and as he shouts, what's going to happen is there's going to be, and the last time I blew this thing, I almost passed out, so I don't know if I'm going to do it today. 
I literally almost, I was like, oh, Jesus, you know, I, I faked it, you know, I just stood over, I was like, whew, that was, that was a lot. But it says, when that happens, when that happens, there's going to be a blast from a trumpet from the angel, and it's going to sound something like this. And with the trumpet of God, the trumpet of God's going to sound. And when the trumpet of God is sounded, it says this, the dead in Christ will rise first. It says that the dead are going to come up like Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus came up. It said Jesus stood at the grave and said, Lazarus, come forth. And it's just this way. When Jesus stands, he said, Lazarus, come forth. He's going to shout and every grave is going to open up with the believers. They're going to come out of the grave. And I don't know how that's going to happen. I mean, that's crazy stuff. I don't know how in the world, you know, all cellular atoms and dust that were scattered. You know, when people say, take my ashes and Take him up to Smoky Mountain. I'm like, no, man, keep me in one place, bro. I don't want to make it hard for Jesus to put me back together in that day. You know what I mean? I want to be, I want it to be as easy as possible, but a little bit there, a little bit there. I don't want me to be scattered all over. You know what I mean? I don't want to be traveling from like Kentucky all the way over to California. Like, no, man, I just, I don't know how that's going to happen, but I do know it's going to happen. It's going to come up. And it says, and, then, and then, then we who are alive and remain are going to be what? Caught up. We're going to be caught up. Now, watch this. In the Galilean wedding, I need some, some cow-eating fellows to come up here. Big, strong men. Big, strong men. I need more. Trust me, I need more. Yeah, yeah. Give me one. Yeah, yeah. Right there, man. Yeah, ah, you got it. Yeah. Yeah, just take a corner here. Just take a corner. I need four. I need one in each corner. And it says that. First Thessalonians says that. To, I just read it. Now, what, what, what will happen on that day, in the middle of the night, what's going to happen is, the groomsmen are going to rise up, and the forerunner is going to go in front of the, the groom, and he's going to blow the trumpet, and he's going to run through Galilee, and he's going to blow the trumpet. He's going to run in front of the groom, and he's going to blow the trumpet all through the city of Galilee. He's going to run through the city, and he's going to blow this trumpet. And everyone who's sleeping, because it's nighttime, because in Matthew 25, it says all of, there were 10 virgins. How many virgins were there? 10, and five of them were and, and five of them were? The ones who already had what? They had oil. So they had light. If you got oil, you got light. So, so he runs through the night, and it's in the night, and he blows the trumpet, and all of the city of Galilee will come out. Those who are ready will be prepared, and those who are not will have to go find. So what that tells me is this. Listen to me when I say this, and this is, you know, like this, you should take notes and take this one down. Because then what that tells me is you can be saved but not ready. You can know the bridegroom, but unless you're full of the oil, you're not ready. 
The oil is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And Paul encourages us. He says, you got to be, don't be drunk with wine, but be full of the Spirit. Because on, on the day of Pentecost, what happens? The Holy Spirit filled the upper room, and what happened? Fire came. Because fire will always come upon fullness. Fire is there to illuminate darkness. So those, the bride... The bride there, the virgins were a reference to the bride of Christ. And it tells us, the Bible tells us that the last day there will be a great falling away. Half of the room will believe it and the other half will say it's fooey. The other half will say, it's, it's foolishness, I'll get ready later. That, that, that Holy Spirit-filled life is, is for the radical. It's for, it's for those holy rollers, those tongue talkers. Those, you know, it's, it's for those weirdos over there. All of that Holy Spirit living. But the Bible tells me on that day that only those who had the oil could have the fire. Only those who are full of God's Spirit will have the fire to illuminate the darkness. So here's what I'm going to tell you. You've got to have enough light to make it through the night. And you You've got to fill yourself with the Holy Spirit in order to be prepared and ready on the day of his arrival. You got to be ready. You got to be ready. And when they get, when they get ready, and, and those who are ready come out. And those who are not ready, they scramble. They panic. They go looking for oil, which tells me that they, they know where to get the oil. They just didn't take the initiative to fill themselves with the Holy Spirit. So you can be in the presence of God every Sunday, but not be full of God. Young people, listen to me. you got to be full of God. You can't risk not being full of the Spirit of the, of the Holy Ghost. got to be ready. And then the Galilean, the Galilean custom, here's what would happen. The, the, the groomsmen would go, and they would carry something called a leader. A leader is like this chair on poles, and it would sit close to the ground, and they would carry it in front of the groom all the way to the feet of the bride. Mm -hmm. Come on. <laughs> this is going to be fun, because if you fall, you fall in the water. Don't worry. You'll be safe. You get, you get raptured and baptized all at the same time. <laughs> Going through this, right? So they would bring it. So they would bring it. Oh, stand up for a second. They would bring it, and they would sit it right in front of her. And then she, she would sit down. She would take her place as the bride of Christ. She would sit with Christ in heavenly places. And she sits down. And then the groomsmen, they lift. Stay, 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 stay there for a minute. First, Thess First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 4, First Thessalonians 4 says this, said we, no, no, that part B, part B, 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be what? The bride is lifted, now lift her, the bride is lifted and she is carried away into the Lamb's Supper of the Lamb. She's carried. She doesn't walk. She rises to meet her Lord in the air. And she's carried away into the chamber room of her king. You can put her down now. She's in a panic. 
And just like Lazarus rose, we shall rise. As the bride of Christ, we're going to be lifted. Isn't it, isn't it interesting to note that that was the custom of the day, that they would lift her? Now it makes sense when Paul says, we're going to be caught up. You're going to be lifted. You're going to be pulled up. You're going to be raptured from the earth. Why? Because Christ is in love with his bride, and he's not going to leave her here. Thank you, guys. And he's not going to leave. Give him a great big hand. He's not going to leave his bride to suffer the wrath that's coming. Now I close. I, does anybody have a lighter? As you, as you dig out the lighter here. Revelation 19.7 says this. It says, for the Lord himself, or Revelation 19.7 says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. The bride has made herself ready. In Revelation, we, we see here, like, let us rejoice and be glad. Let's give the, the bridegroom glory. Because the bride has made herself ready. Matthew 25.10 says that those who were ready. Those who were ready. She's lifted. And while she's lifted... We scramble. We scramble to find, like, is it in here? Is it in here? I need oil. I need oil. I need oil. We scramble. Like, he hurry. Got to hurry. I got to hurry. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Like, oh, no, no, not Jesus is coming. Jesus is gone. There's no getting ready. By the time you go to get ready, watch this. Matthew 25, 10. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. You'll never unsee it. You're never going to 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 unsee it. Those who were ready went in to the consummation of the ages, to the fullness of the marriage betrothal. Those who were ready went into the chamber of Jesus. And in the Galilean wedding, it is the groom who shuts the door, as if to say, at the end, once all of those who are ready come in, he goes to the door. And it is the groom in the Galilean wind. It is the groom who takes the doors and he shuts the door. The door now is shut. Jesus is the door. Those who come through him find eternal life. But there will be a day, the Bible says, there's coming a day where the doors will be closed. When those doors are closed, then the wrath of God shall come. This is not wrath. 
there's no way to endure that. Jesus loves you so much. He's like, listen, listen to me. Be ready. I'm coming. Why comfort yourself? Because I'm, I'm not going to leave you to wrath. I love you so much. There's no way I'm going to leave you to wrath. But here's the deal. you got to be ready. You must be ready. I ask you today. I ask you to ask your children. I ask you to ask your neighbors. I ask you to ask your uncles, nephews, moms, dads. Ask them, are they ready? Are you ready? Because like, it doesn't matter that you know him. It's not enough to know him. You gotta be full. Because only those who are full have the fuel for the fire. It says that spirit filled the upper room. It filled it. It was full. The upper room was full of the spirit of God. And as the witness of God's fullness, what did he do? He said, I send fire where there's fullness. I will send fire where there's fullness. When my people allow themselves to be filled up in my presence, I will send fire on that life. That life will be illuminate the darkness. That life will make a difference. That life will tear this world up and all of the effects of the enemy. That life will be the difference maker of this generation, but it must be full. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you ready, church? Don't put it off. Are you ready? How do you know if you're ready? God, just, just open your hands and say, God, I want to be ready. Make me ready. Holy Spirit, now here's the prayer. Here's the altar call. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me to overflowing. Your Holy Spirit, fill me. The oil of God, fill my life. And I may never be empty. I ask you to fill me. If you're not ready, if you don't know Jesus, pray this prayer with me. If you've never invited, if you've never drank from the cup of Christ, lift, look, look at me. Look at me. Can you pass out the communion real fast? Just, I, I'll put it back there. Real fast, real fast. Just as fast as we can. Because I want you to see this. Every time we receive communion, what we proclaim, we, we hold up the bread and we say, this is his body. What we say with that is, this is the husband making provision for me. He made all provision for me in his body. He's not with me now in the flesh, but there will be a day when he will be. And so until then, what did Jesus tell his disciples? As often as you do this, this is what the Galilean wedding, when they got to the Galilean wedding, they would take the, the feast. And Jesus is making a reference to the feast that happens at the Galilean wedding. He said, it's like this. When the husband and the bride come together at the, at the wedding feast, every time you take this, I want you to remember me, Jesus said. What do you mean remember you? Remember the Galilean wedding. Remember, you're my bride, and I'm. What was Jesus saying? Remember, I'm coming back for you. Remember, I'm married to you. So as you hold that in your hand, grab me, throw me one here, like rocket ship, throw it to me. 
give Emma one. So as you hold it in your hand today, check this out. This is what you profess. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, what did he do? He took bread. He broke it. Because that's what happens at a Galilean wedding. And he said, just like at a Galilean wedding, when they take the bread, I want you to remind yourself that the bread is me. I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of your life. And I'm coming back for you. And what I want you to remind yourself is I am the provision. I am making provision for you. Even though I'm not going to be with you, I want you to remember. I want you to remind yourself that every time you do this, I'm coming back for you and I'm making provision for you. The bread reminds us and tells us he is making provision for us. That every one of my needs are met according to his riches and glory. Here? No. There. You don't get what you want. You get what you need. You don't get what you want, you get what you need. Now tell me, he's a provider of need, not want. He said, every need now, I have provided for you. So when we take this, what we're saying is, you know what we're saying? We're married. We're married, but not consummated yet. That's all we're saying. And we're waiting for the consummation of our marriage. It's a beautiful love story. So we break it to remind ourselves. are my portion Jesus when I'm hungry here you are my portion when I'm lack here you are my portion when I'm insecure you're my portion when I'm alone you're my portion when I'm rejected you're my portion when I'm broken you're my portion you're making provision for me you love me you're married to me you're never gonna leave me you're never gonna forsake me you're not like this world you are altogether lovely you are different and they take the cup and just like in the Galilean wedding, I want you to, I want you to, with me for a moment, remind yourself, remind yourself. Now, watch this. Every time you take the cup, remember, just like the Galilean wedding, you take this cup, you're saying you're married. That bride, when she took that cup from that groom, it was done. The covenant agreement was sealed and ratified the day Jesus died receive his blood and now you want to get married let's get married come on let's pray Father we thank you for your presence in the room right now come on let's stand to our feet we thank you for your presence in the room right now we thank you that you're a, you'll fill us God you're a filling God you'll fill us God fill us to the uttermost Fill your people. Just begin to sing.
to go away because I got to get some stuff ready for you. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be glorious. You're going to need the helper, Jesus says. You're going to need the helper. And we often, it's a, it's a, it's a church term, we call it like be baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? And I just believe right now, how many want to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're here? So I just believe right now, if that's you, just lift your hands all over this room and I just declare, God, fill your people right now. And I declare signs and wonders. God, you will confirm the filling of your people with the utterance of the language of heaven. The earth, the language of earth is going to run out and now there's going to be a filling of your spirit. All signs and wonders fire from heaven now filling your people. Father, thank you now. Father, thank you now, Jesus. We bless your name. We give you praise. only to our beloved for I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine I await your arrival with joyful anticipation Jesus I can't wait for the day where you break the sky wide open and you shout my name and I rise from all of the decay and all of the death and all of the hate and all of the bitterness and all of the animosity is left behind. I can't wait the day till your arrival. I wait with joy, full anticipation for you to come for me. I fill myself with comfort in these words to know that I am loved with a love that's everlasting, that's stronger than death. God, I thank you that the love that you have for me is so powerful that it lifts me from all of this life into eternity. I bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Live right. Love everybody. Pray hard. Thank you for being here.